Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us today on the third day of the Untitled Art Podcast, live recording from Miami Beach at Untitled Arts 11th edition. I am Clara Andrade, the Director of Development and Programming at Untitled Art. I am pleased to introduce the last podcast of the day, highlighting and archiving Blackness in the America and Caribbean, presented by Otriana Projects and the 55 Project. We want to thank the Museum of African Diaspora, the 55 Project, the Last Resort Artist Retreat, and Calpa Art Advisory for supporting this year's Otriana Projects programming. I am thrilled to introduce our speakers, Jelaine Rodriguez and Rafael Arri, in a conversation moderated by Otriana Ward. Additionally, I want to invite you all to check their special project, Shango Digital Throne at Antitela, located right at the entrance of the fair. Shango Digital Throne is the third iteration of conceptual artist Jeline Rodriguez in Mercyful Altars. In collaboration with Mario Residency founder Otrana Ward, this version will incorporate digital offerings to Shango from various Afro diasporic artists working within video art. Otriana Ward is an independent curator, publisher, multilingual writer, cultural producer, and co-founder of Mari Projects. Born and raised in San Francisco, Ward has lived in New York City, Chicago, and Salvador, Brazil. She's currently based between London and Baltimore. She's a 2020 MFA Curatorial Practice graduate of the Maryland Institute of College of Art and received her BA in History from Manhattanville College in 2011. Guar is the founder of Mari Residency and now Otriana Projects, a multidisciplinary art firm that supports Latin American, African, and Asian artistic production through publications, grants, residencies, and special projects. With no further ado, I hand over the mic to Otriana. Thank you all. I do hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And we will have also time at the end for some questions, uh, if you would like. So, Triana, it's all yours now. Okay. Thank you so much, Clara, for that introduction. Thank you, everybody, for coming today. So I wanted to go ahead and also start off with um, my speaker's bios. So, Yelaine Rodriguez is an Afro-Dominican York artistic scholar, curator, and writer. She conceptualizes fiber art, sculptures, and site-specific installations, drawing connections between Black cultures in the Caribbean and the United States. She received her BFA in fashion design from Parsons School of Design, the New School, and her MA in Latin American and Caribbean Studies slash Museum Studies from New York University. She is currently an adjunct instructor at Parsons Textile, MFA, in the new NYU Department of Photography and Imaging. She is exhibited in Estamos Bien, La Triennial 2021, El Museo de Barrio's first national large-scale survey of Latinx contemporary art, her works have appeared on CNN, Artsy, Infoco, Hyperallergic, Vogue, Aperture, and Elle magazine. Okay, Rafael Arhije lives and works between Garubios and São Luís de Maranhão, Brazil. They are a visual writer, visual artist, and writer. His practice focuses on sexual and affective relationships and their political implications, as well as issues of racial identity. 
Working with institutional and personal archives, he presents his research through workshops, installations, performative text, publications, and objects. The materials he works with are often closely associated with narratives that involve himself or an alter ego in some way, and the resulting projects that are close to or resemble fiction. So thank you. Thank you both for joining me today. Okay. um, First question was, I wanted Yelaine to introduce yourself in terms of um, what you're working on and to talk more about Shango and how this came about and um, your work with Orishas. Well, thank you, um, Untitled and Atriana Projects for bringing us here in conversation. Uh, my name is Yelene Rodriguez. I work with the Orisha specifically as a source of connection within the diaspora. I come from the island of Quisqueya, Dominican Republic, and Haiti. And in 2013, um, I started researching a little bit more about the tension between both sides of the island and I found that Afrosyncretism was a unifying factor. And that's kind of like what drove me to go deeper into researching Afrosyncretism throughout the diaspora. So the project that I'm presenting here with Atriana Projects is Chango Digital Throne, where this is the third version of this digital throne. Uh, but the unique and beautiful thing about this throne is... Um, how Atriana brought in two other artists to show their video within this space as a conversation between, you know, we have Bia, who is from Brazil, and we have uh, Tai, who is from Puerto Rico, and I'm from the Dominican Republic, um, and we are both like, we're all looking at this Orisha in, how, in our own different ways. Um, and that speaks a lot about the resistance of African, the African diaspora, but also about our ancestors that were able to preserve this religion throughout uh, the colonization and enslavement period. So. Thank you. And Rafael, if you'd like to talk about your work and some of your performances. Yes. Uh, thank you, everybody. I'm Rafael. Uh, <clears throat> It's super nice to be here in Untitled because we are so close of the sea. And I think in some ways the sea connected my, pro- my work with Altriana's work and with Yael's work. Um, I'm some of Yemanja. Uh, in Brazil, Yemanja is a wish that the queen of the sea. And I'm here in Miami doing a residency. And for the first time, I have the opportunity to have some contact with Santeria Cubana, which is something for me really transforming because Santeria Cubana, it's really connected with Candomblé in Brazil. And I went to a space of Santeria here and I want this, uh, this Yemanja. <laughs> Let's try. So. <laughs> I want this Yemanjar gear or collar. So it's very special to be here next to the sea. Um, my practice is more connected with relations. In the beginning, it was more related with the idea of love. Now I am more open with what I understand really is love. So I'm working with relations in general. And here in Miami, I'm working with the Cuban immigrants, specific. 
specifically with gay and lesbian people uh, over six years old. We are having some conversations about their first kisses, and most of them had their first kisses during the Fidel Castro era in Cuba. So we, I'm trying to understand how, uh, how was the life of an LGBT person during the dictatorship. Um, sometimes I have the feeling that for me, the idea of ancestrality, it's a little bit different because for me, ancestrality is about the future. Uh, I think in my work, I look a lot to the past, but I, I'm always trying to imagine new futures for me and for my community. Okay, so that actually ties into my next question. Um, both of your work involves the archive in both literally in Yelaine's work and researching and going through archives. Um, and I wanted to know in what ways do you feel like the archive is important in preserving the, the past and creating a future for us as black people? Yeah, I think the archives are very important. I draw draw a lot of inspiration from um, Sadia Hartman's writing, uh, The Venus in Two Act, and how we should read against the grain of the archives because the archives were not uh, created for Black people. Um, sim like, just in August, I did a whole video based on just one sentence that I found in a, uh, in a manuscript um, that said, La Negra del Hospital, which is basically was talking about the first hospital of the Americas that was inspired by a black woman in 1502. But there's no records about who she is, what's her, like her name, her age, um, and her story is hidden. So we have, some other people can read that and just kind of like have that go over their head. Um, but we have to find through those lines and create through those absence um, and it's a very, for me, I don't know, like, I feel like it, it's a very, um, like, painful uh, process to go through the archive, these colonial archival materials, and try to resurrect um, our ancestors from there. And if we don't do that, if we don't actively go into the archives and try to, like, bring those stories to life, uh, their life, then for me, it would have been in vain. And so for me, I... I I, another inspiration is uh, Dr. Deborah Willis, who is my professor, uh, and who was my professor and is my boss at NYU now, um, and is an active supporter of, of my work and my practice. And she has really influenced me to, to not only like do art, but also write, and then put my writing into archives. So I write, and then I bring it into the Dominican Studies Institute. And, you know, like, just this active process of like taking control of our narratives. And I also wanted to follow up that you have your own archive, right? So if you can elaborate a little bit on that too. Uh, yes, I was, um, I'm part of the Dominican studies um, archive. They started a Dominican York artist uh, section. And the first artist was Josefina Baez. Uh, performance Dominican artists and now I'm in the process of entering this archive which is partnering with uh, a store uh, part of JSTOR and I what is beautiful about this is that the person that brought me in is the is one of the first people one of the first advocate when I started curating work 
And I, when I was doing my thesis during the pandemic, we didn't have access to the NYU library. So the research, research that I was getting, the um, sources that I was getting was through private archives from the artist. And just reaching out to a friend in the Dominican Republic, like, hey, can you get me this book that isn't even published or printed? Um, so that really, that experience really made me think about how we should all preserve, scan, collect, and share our resources because, and create our own archives. And Rafael, if you want to also um, talk to the ways that you were saying that, the, that going to the archive is a way to preserve the future and creating a future in that way. You can talk more on that. Yeah. Um, so Brazil was... Um, <clears throat> during the slavery, Brazil was the country that received more enslaved people from Africa. Uh, but um, most of the colonial archives, uh, they don't tell the history about residency and freedom. They only uh, preserve it, the history of violence. So I think with my art or with my art practice, I'm trying to build an archive about resistance, an archive about the people who fight for freedom. Uh, when I go to an archive in Brazil, I don't trust that place. I don't trust that documents. This is not my history. That's why I believe that ancestrality for me is about the future. Uh, because I'm trying to write a past for me and my family through my work. But I think for me, the most important is that I'm trying to do something for the future, for the next ones we're coming. Um, something, is my mic. Um, something else that I wanted to highlight was uh, one of the decisions that I made in terms of including video art and choosing artists working in video in the front of the fair is because I wanted to highlight Black artists who are working in spaces that aren't specifically highlighted, such as performance and video art and, you know, and, uh, fiber art as well. So if we can talk about some of the ways that um, you would like to see your specific practice and for you, video and for performance, appreciated and acknowledged within the Black arts community and larger What are ways that you would like to see performance more acknowledged as a Black art form? In... Well, what... I think that... <laughs> um, I'm a, I, I struggle talking about my practice because I do so many like things. I sometimes feel like I'm a control freak when it comes to, to my work because if I don't know how to do something, I figure out a way to do it. Um, so some people know me as a photographer, some people know me as a videographer, some people know me as a, a costume designer, but I find a way to bring all those elements into one, uh, into one uh, realm, right? So when you see my videos, you're also seeing my fiber art, you're also seeing um, my sculptures. And I've struggled in the art world in the beginning when people um, having their conversation is fashion art, is it worthy to be part of a fine art museum or a fine art institution? And uh, having people ask me like, oh, can, can I wear this? And I'm like, no, this is specifically created 
for Anorisha, like after this, I create a, a piece, I archive it and I try and I don't allow somebody else to wear it that it wasn't meant for it to, for them, right? Um, so I, I want people to like, fashion is like, if, fashion is art. <laughs> there is a labor that goes behind it. And is a, I, I don't call it, I don't call my art like fashion because of the stigma behind it when you're trying to be in, in galleries and museum. But it is one of my practice. And I guess like, I don't know if I'm answering your question, <laughs> but yeah. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to say that sometimes there are certain ways that Black artists, Black art forms, want people want the market wants black artists to be presented as um if they're really into one thing this year then they want to see painting and that's what they think that black art is supposed to look like and sometimes other forms of black art are left out including performance or including even like ceramics or dance or uh textile so that's more of what i was trying to say with that if that makes sense um so if you, I mean, I also wanted to talk about the specific cultural context that you both come from and thinking about archiving for you and Elaine in terms of in New York and also in DR and just highlighting some of your experiences there, um, including some archivists that you think are doing important work as well. Well, working in New York, because I was, I, when people ask me where you're from, I'm like, I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, I'm Dominican descent. But, <laughs> but working in the uh, New York archives is a different story because I feel like I have the ability to maneuver that a little bit better. But when I'm in the Dominican Republic, like I have friends that are like, do not tell them that you're that this is about blackness because I, it, access will immediately um, the door to that will immediately close. Um, and unfortunately, that's the situation that we are in the Dominican Republic, that if you are pro-Black, if you say you're Afro-Dominican, then you are a traitor to your race or you're, you're Haitian, like, it's, like if Haitian is a negative or a curse word, right? Um, so I try to go and support as much as possible Black archives. I did a, a residency as an archivist at the Black Archives in the Netherlands. And looking at like Afro Surinamese culture, and I, when I was there and going through the the material, I found a Black Panther like typed Black Panther letter <laughs> from the seventies, telling um, somebody in the Netherlands how they can start their own branch there. And I was just like, if we were able to do that in a time that we didn't have resources, we should be able to do that now. Um, but yeah, like going into colonial archival spaces, um, even if you're going into the Dominican Republic and spaces that are still holding that, um, uh, holding colonialism at a high standard versus going into a black archive is a very different feeling. Um, yeah. yeah, I have a completely different experience because at, at the moment I'm living in San Luis de Marion 
which is a small island in the northeast of Brazil. It's a super small island, but it, it's a very special, magical place. Uh, it's very common and natural that you are walking on streets and then you meet an encantado. Encantado is a person that is able to receive spirits in her body. So this street is our archive because all the time I have experiences that I'm talking with people and these people came from the past, came from other lives. And this is the real archive that I have access in San Luis. And this is fantastic. Um, I'm writing about Sometimes I have plans to do something about it, but I think I'm not ready because it's something huge. And I need more time to understand what is possible to, to, to do with this. Uh, I think this is the first time I'm talking about this in public, but I think it's a special moment. Uh, and yeah. Thank you. So um, my last question about this topic is, in what ways would you like to see the archive evolve? In what ways would you like to see the archive evolve? Yeah. Do you want to um, I want people like my parents to enter the archives to feel that there is a home within that um, academic setting. Um, I talked to my mom a lot and I get a lot of inspiration from her and sometimes she feels like like that she cannot express or that there's not like people like her are not like worthy of being archived and I'm like no I interview her there's an article that came out on L that where I interview her and I'm just like you're when we finish and it was just so beautiful to like have her speak and being able to document that and have that be published um, because these people hold a lot of knowledge and unfortunately they get lost like after they they pass right so i would like to find a way to either like bring multiple generation dialogue and write that and document that and make them understand that their narrative is important their story is important um and that's what i would like to see change in the in the archives I don't know. Um, you mean, I, maybe, um, I would like to believe that in the future would be possible uh, to build an archive, not only with things that happened in the past or in present, but I, I really want to believe that it would be possible to do an archive only with imagination, only with desires that we have, only with our dreams. It's like a place when people go to research uh, what people believe in, what was necessary to be happy in this world. I don't know if it makes sense. Thank you. Um, so I also wanted to open it up because it looks like we have a really cool audience. So if uh, people want to ask some questions.
So we were talking a little bit before because I've followed you for a while um, and just about how fashion I've also in that space is always, I mean, even the word fashion, it comes from French. I mean, there is not a more colonial concept than fashion, actually, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I just, I'm wondering, since we're talking a lot about like past, present, like what would your hope or your vision for this sort of like decentering of fashion or, you know, also not just from like, you know, the colonial implications, but also just from the, like the superficial, you know, fashion as in trends um, aspect. I mean, I, hello. Oh, I remove myself from the fashion. Thank you for your question, first of all. <laughs> and I remove myself away from the fashion industry because I felt that my people were not being represented properly. And I was wasting my energy creating things that didn't speak to me. Um, I did have the, the privilege to work in an atelier where the boss was Dominican, uh, Jolive Atelier. And we felt, you know, to a certain extent of, of familiarity, uh, camaraderie. And he was, he is a very hardworking individual. So we kind of like created that, you know, uh, he created an environment that we felt we can talk. But then when we got into the space, you know, I, I still feel a little bit weird going into museums sometimes. Like, do I belong here? Do I not belong here? So what I wanted, I didn't want to end my career in the fashion industry uh, with a negative note. Um, and I just took my interest and my research in a way to um, in a way that I can create stories that are important to, to me and my community, right? Um, I think fashion is still really beautiful. Wearable art is very beautiful. Um, I, I just think is when it gets into, um, somebody's, um, it. Okay. So my thing is, it's not the, the practice is how people interpret it, right? There's good and bad in everything. So I, that's my response. <laughs> Um, let's ask some questions. <laughs> um, does anybody, Shakti, you have a question? Okay. Hi, um, my name is Patricia Encarnacion from Dominican Republic. I'm an artist myself. Um, I've worked with archives as well. Uh, it caught my attention that, Rafa, you said that your experience with the, ar with the archives were really different as uh, the opposite to Yelene, that she's been struggling to um, gain or find the information that you needed. Could you please speak a little bit more about your experience in the archives and like, um, what, it, like what institutions are available in, in Brazil, I believe, no? That we can like also have access to it and uh, so we can like all share um, the resources that you said that you have the privilege to have access to. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Hello, hello. 
it's okay. Um, yeah, we have we have lots of public archives, which they are normal common archives. But for example, we had during this labor in Brazil, we had the Quilombo. Quilombo was spaces of resistance. We have Quilombo do Palmares, which was a huge place of resistance, bigger than Miami City. And we don't have any documents about it. We just have the names of the ships, the name of the owners of the slaves, the name of the farms that the slaves was working. All this violence sheet we have, really well documented, but we don't have any documents about the day life of these spaces of freedom. So this is only one example. Ah, yes, of course. If you put Quilombo on Google, there is a lot of these spaces, they are still alive. And these families, they are still building an archive. So, if you go to a Quilombo, you just ask about the history of that family, and then you access everything. But what I'm saying, this is not documented, this is not inside university, this is not public or online. This is only possible when you have the real experience. Uh, also, it's something that I understand because it's connected with the idea of orali, or, how you know how to say oralidade in English? Yeah. Orali, orality, yes. Uh, because this is also a way to protect some information for the white people, so yeah. Hi, um, it's not necessarily a question, um, but first, thank you for making this talk. I think it's very important to talk about the archival and the highlights of Blackness. Um, it's more, I like what you said about also having space for an archival of the imagination, um, especially because there is so much archive that has been destroyed through time, and especially when it talks about spaces of that don't come from the suffering of black people because also like it doesn't serve the people that destroy it for us to have that archive. Um, but I like what you said because um, there are a few artists that, um, I have, um, there's an artist in Paris called Alexia Fiasco. She's a photographer and she lost all of her family archives, all of her family pictures. And she did a project where she reenacted, uh, she went back to Cape Verde where she's from and she, reenacted all of her family's stories that she had heard um, through her grandmother. And she, re she remade her family album through the imagination of these stories that her, her grandmother gave her. And so I think that it's, it is very important to have that space. Um, even if it's not like historical archive, it can be because our imagination is also history. And to have that space to just also push also um, more the space to allow black people and black artists to create work further than what white spaces would want us to create, which are usually 
they want us to make art that is related to that suffering because they love like they they it, it I don't know why they love it but to also allow black creatives and non-black creatives to just um be creatives and not black creatives you know I don't know if that made sense but yeah that's it <laughs> so we have time for one last question um, Hi. So um, I've been thinking a lot about AI and how AI is a part of our archive in a way by creating artificial images based on prompts. How do you think as an archivist, would you be able to kind of di differentiate images that are going to be AI, you know? And how would you categorize that into that? Would that be part of our imagination in these AI images? through like researching because I researching AI is basically the databases of images being put together through artificial intelligence so how do you guys think that would play into archiving in the future and categorizing stuff Sorry. I mean I think it's unethical what's going on and it creeps me out uh big time so the, I mean, at least some of the AI um, images that I've seen, like there's one that's going around right now that's like a, like a fake black women in the 70s, like punk scene. And I, at first I was, because if you don't read the caption, you see it and you're like, oh my God, that's so cool. You know? And then you read it and it's like, this is created how, and how were these, creating these fictionalized um Black people that, I mean, A, could have existed on their own. And like, where is the actual study of that? Where's the actual appreciation of those people? And then it just, or there was one where I saw where it was, um, especially when we think about the archive, because anytime if you go back in, black, with hist in history in America's, at least uh, with Black people, like things were harder. So you are imagining you're creating this person who may have been having a hard time and like you're imagining this, like you're, I'm seeing a AI created image of someone um, in the 1920s in Harlem, you know, when thinking about Harlem in the 1920s could have been like fun or, you know, obviously or light, you know, life as it was, but also a struggle. And so this, because I feel like for me, when I look at the archive, it's a sign of resilience. And so for, a machine that's mostly populated by like white creators, most likely that means that in some way they're creating artificially creating the struggle of resilience. And so I, I just, I'm not into it, but I am into this podcast and I thank you <laughs> everyone for coming. And this has been a beautiful, 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 beautiful week. I'm exhausted and I'm grateful for everyone for coming. Thank you, Rafael. Thank you, Yelaine. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. Um, keep hope alive. Pull up, pull up.